Hello, and welcome to Ignite Your Purpose. I am your host, Karen Zafra-Vera. Join me here every week for your weekly inspiration and guidance call. We're going to empower you, create enthusiasm, plant a seed, to recognize and peel off the layers to see your true, beautiful I am. Our guests will definitely motivate you to take action today, to create a new belief, and ignite your soul for more of this gift of life. So join us today, here. Tune in now. Okay, welcome back to Ignite Your Purpose. I am Karen, your host, and today I have this amazing lady that I have gotten to know for the past year, um, especially through this um, year of the pandemic. Um, her name is Doreen McGettigan. She is a ghostwriter, speaker, a best-selling author, and an award-winning blogger. I think that is so cool. She, Doreen, consults and coaches on anything with writing, publishing, and marketing. She is a president of Intrepid Marketing Inc. Um, she is, her, her passion is to empower women to leave a documentary of their lives, well-written, so that their children and their children um, have a history of of the accurate light of, of their lives. Um, she is a wife, a mother of three daughters, two sons, and 13 grandchildren. How amazing is that? Welcome, Doreen. It's such a privilege to have you here today. Thank you. It's been so great to get to know you after, um, over this past crazy year, too. No, it's been. I can't wait to hear all the beautiful gold nuggets that you have for us and for, um, for the listeners today. Um, Give me, you want to give our listeners a little bit of your background, even though I mentioned a couple of things. I'd love to hear a little bit about the blogger, award-winning blogger. That is, that just sounds so cool. Tell me a little bit. When I first started to blog, I belonged to this uh, bloggers group called Insecure Writers, Mm -hmm. and they had a kind of a challenge every April. So we had to choose a theme and then every single day of the month, he would write a blog post according to the letter of the alphabet. It was called the A to Z challenge. Mm -hmm. So my theme, uh, the second year I did this challenge was on mental health. So every day of the month, according to the letter of the alphabet, like for D I did depression and I did advice and, Mm -hmm. you know, symptoms and things like that. So for some lucky reason, all of those posts got like moved way to the top of Google. (laughs) So when somebody like was looking for something on mental health, like all of these posts popped up and it was like the best free SEO ever. (laughs) And then these organizations started to give me awards for those posts, like a sunshine award and mental health ambassador and all these things. So I was real proud of that. Absolutely. Got to be um, an influencer for some companies. And I don't so much do that anymore because I kind of evolved from that, but Mm -hmm. I'm really uh, starting to miss uh, 
putting some blog posts out there. So I might revive that a little bit. Well, definitely. I'm sure that our, our listeners would love to hear more about that. So today I wanted to talk about, because there's so many things about you that can inspire and empower so many women out there, our listeners, not just women, just our listeners. Um, and it's, it's really about, I know that you were a journalist before and, you know, writing, there's different types of writing. What got you or why do you feel that the ghost writing is something that you're more passionate about? Like from what I hear from you and what I've known from you, you enjoy more of the ghost writing um, than the other aspect of it. Why is that? I think I was always really shy. That's mm-hmm. not so much the case anymore. Uh, but as far as ghostwriting, I kind of wanted to be an actress, mm. but I was a little bit too shy to put myself out there in that way. And I have done some things later, you know, as I, I grew older, uh, went out of my uh, comfort zone and did a few things. But I feel like with the ghostwriting, I'm able to just pretend to be somebody else. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but like try to really get in somebody else's head and figure out what they meant to say. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that maybe it's my training as a journalist. Like I interview people Mm -hmm. and then fill in the blanks to tell their story. Right. And I think that would be I can understand that because when you're interviewing someone, you're trying to understand more of their position and their emotions, their perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. makes it makes it more, it makes it easier, I, I would assume. It's a challenge to get it right. Like I recently ghost wrote a book that was literally four people mm-hmm. telling the story and it was a Hispanic man, a black man, <laughs> an Italian man. I remember you telling me about that. <laughs> I had a great time, but I had like a sensitivity person mm-hmm. to help me like get their voices right. And I took her advice. And then when I gave them what I wrote, they were shaking their heads. They were like, oh, this <laughs> is not how we talk. <laughs> So what happened? And I said, well, that's like not what I thought, but this person I hired because I wanted to get the voice right. And they were like, well, what did you originally write? And I sent them what I imagined how a conversation would go with them. And they said, you nailed it the first time. Oh, my gosh. That is such (laughs) a big lesson right there. Right? Yeah, it's a lesson that, you know, sensitivity is a big issue right now, but people, many different people are sensitive for different reasons and a whole race of people are not sensitive to the same thing. Absolutely. Every person is unique. Absolutely. That was the lesson for me that ask. (laughs) Ask. And also like for me, when I hear that your story, uh, it goes back to like trusting ourselves right Mm -hmm, following that intuition um and that leads to then asking you know them before like you know 
going or reacting towards those fears, those doubts to bring in someone that doesn't really or may not have provided you the right information. Right. And just listening to them, I kind of got to know them and how they spoke with each other. So you're right. I should have just trusted my gut all along. Right. It's so interesting because we all, I mean, it's something that we do on a daily basis. And I don't even know how many, I have heard that we make over 35, I think it's the last time I heard it was like 35,000 decisions a day. And how many of those do we constantly question and doubt, right? And we don't recognize, you know, we just, we forget. I, a lot of people either don't recognize it or many people forget that we always have that answer within ourselves. We just need to ask the questions. One yeah. of my most favorite things is we do make all these decisions every day and we make split second decisions. We make subconscious, unconscious, conscious decisions. But the most important decision we make every single day is the one that we make as soon as we open our eyes in the morning. And that decision is to hit the snooze or get up and make our dreams come true. Oh, wow. So, you know, what is the sense in snoozing your life away when there's dreams out there to get up and, and get after? Absolutely. That is so true. And again, you know, there, we take, we all take advantage of that so many times, so many times we take for granted, you know, it's not, a, you know, it's for me, it's not until, until I started to really get into being habitual about being grateful, um, intentionally being grateful, right? Because we're grateful for so many, we're grateful when something huge happens. But we're not grateful for the smallest little things that that huge couldn't happen if just the one that we don't even acknowledge we're grateful for, like waking up, right? Our eyes opening mm -hmm. up. That is so, that's so good. That's so powerful. And as soon as I wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and I get myself, I sit up and the first thing I say is, thank you, God, for all of the miracles you're going to show me today. Absolutely. Claim and you can it. say God, spirit, whatever. Mm -hmm. And that way I'm expecting to see things during the day. And then when I go to bed at night, I try to remember, oh, I saw this beautiful flowers or an adorable baby or, you know, the weather was so great. Whatever happened during the day, I always try to do that list before I go to bed at night to say thank you. And I'm so grateful that I got to have this today. It really is a habit and it kind of changed. Yeah. The way it's, I feel about getting up in the morning. It's amazing that that routine is such an amazing and empowering routine. And so many do not realize that just by expecting it, just by claiming it, it's already in process. It's already coming to you, right? And mm -hmm. to be grateful before you go to sleep completely shifts your mindset on what you have been doing and what you have been worrying about or what you think you still have to do and so forth. And when you go to sleep, you go to sleep with this tension, right? Mm -hmm. And those are, and sometimes we wonder like, why did I have this dream? You know, like all of this 
different things happen and we wake up with that. But what I have realized that when I adapted to that routine of going to sleep after I said all of my gratitude and just, you know, just being so grateful for the days and acknowledging my day and almost, plan, you know, stepping back and looking at it, that automatically it became easy to wake up in such a different level of energy and abundance, you know, and it became easy for me to just wake up. And it's like the first thing that comes out of my, my mouth and my mind is like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. Like, look at the sun that is shining, you know, upon my window and so forth. And I think that if we pick up, if they, if, if our, you know, if our audience, if our listeners, if people pick up that routine in the evening, in the morning, that alone can change so much within you. And I can only speak it from my own personal experience because yeah. I've been the one that did not do that before. Right. And now I'm the one that I do that. And I have seen the change. And like you said, you see the change. It's drastic. Definitely change. And I sleep so much better. Yes. Oh my gosh. So much better. <laughs> I was like, I think that when I started doing it, I was dreaming so much more and it was pleasant dreams, you know, compared to not even dreaming or just feeling tired, waking up and feeling tired. So yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it started for me after a really traumatic event, being involved in a um, shooting and uh I, the nightmares, I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't do a lot of things. It was just horrible. And, you know, just those little things at night, like, you know, thank you for keeping me safe today. And, you know, that, all was, a those huge, that was a huge, profound experience for you. Is that something you'd like to share with us and how you overcame the fear? Yeah, I was just driving home one night and at an intersection, three cars kind of uh, one in front of me, one behind me and one beside me all started shooting at each other. It was gang related mm -hmm. and I was in a big SUV and to the right of me was a uh, water ice stand and there was about 10 small children running around and playing and eating water ice. And I just kept saying to myself, God, if I'm here to protect these kids, so be it whatever with me, you know, I've had a good life, blah, blah, blah. And to the left of me, I saw a 16 year old get shot and killed like a foot from my driver's side door. So you don't, you just don't forget. I mean, I've never been so terrified. I can't even imagine. I'm that. a control freak and I had absolutely not one ounce of control. I have 911 on Bluetooth and the lady is saying, ma'am, we are, they are not coming. You are going to have to get yourself out of there. And it was wow. the loneliest, scariest thing ever. But I don't know, something took over and I just watched and I carry, I, and, but I knew in my mind that there was nobody, I don't know who's good, who's bad. Right. You know, I just made the decision. No, I just need to get myself out. And when the car beside me backed up a little bit to get at the people behind me, I just kind of floored it, drove on sidewalks, went around and got myself out of there. 
And then the police came to my house and lots of bullets in my car, like one, like an inch from my head. Wow. So, you know, like it was really hard not to dwell on. Mm -hmm. I was one inch away, but instead like learning to dwell on, I protected 10 children from getting hurt. If I wasn't there, those so many bullets were flying that the several of those kids would have been lost, I'm sure. So I'm grateful that I was there. And that's kind of the way I have to look at it. Right. Incredible. It, it just, you know, really opened my mind to what some people have to live through in their neighborhoods too. And I'm just so aware of that and so um, wanting to help them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing because I, might, I, I can't even imagine having that experience, but to think back and you start to question, you know, why was I there, right? Like, why were you there? What was the purpose? What was the gift in this process? If anybody has heard me before, I always say hey, there's the contrast is, is the gift that we have mm -hmm. to see what we want, right? But there's always a gift in that season. There's always a gift in that trouble moment or trouble season. And so for you to go back and think about, you know, what was the purpose? What was the gift? I mean, just there, you saved the children, right? Yeah. Your big SUV, right? Saved mm -hmm. all those children. Yeah, my car had a lot of bullets in it. If my car wasn't there, there was no place else for them to go but into the crowd of kids. So, you wow. know, that's my saving grace right there. And that is a gift to me that I, you know, thank goodness I was there and able to save those kids. Right, right. So how, how long ago did this happen? A year ago in October. Oh, wow. A year ago in October. So how have you surpassed that fear? Um, and I'm not saying that you've already done, you like it's already a done deal because I think we're always surpassing. We're always growing. Mm -hmm. But how have you handled yourself? Because people can handle this circumstances in such different ways. How did you yeah. find that for you? I already had PTSD from uh, other things in my past. So immediately... The very next day, I recognized the signs mm. and I immediately went into therapy with a trauma specialist, right? Uh, a specialist for PTSD. Wow. And it took a couple of months to really, driving was so hard for me. And it's like, I know in my mind, like, it's okay. You know, that was a really you know, strange thing that happened and a traumatic thing, but it's just not going to happen all the time. I mean, it's like, right. go up, you have to get back to your life and do the normal things you've done. But certain things like intersections and red lights terrify me. If a car gets too close behind me, I get terrified. So these are a couple of things I'm still working on, but as far as the PTSD, it's pretty much under control and no medication or anything, just really doing the work. 
Yeah. What did you learn about yourself and your you overcoming? Like, in other words, I know for a fact that whenever we're in situations, just like you were there and you made a decision, it was like an out of lot, out of body decision. You empowered yourself. There was a strength that comes in to us when we are in almost the worst of scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. You know, looking back and even going through your treatments, um, through your therapy and just everyday life, how do you feel that that you've learned the most of yourself? What did you learn the most of yourself through this process of overcoming such a traumatic situation? I learned that I'm really good under pressure (laughs) and I make really good decisions because like I said, I carry and even the police were surprised that I didn't start shooting back. But I knew in a split, and that was a split second decision that that's not going to help me. Right. So they even told me that that's very unusual, that I was that calm, cool, and collected to make that decision. And I said, well, I have a lot of training. And, you know, I just, that all clicked in. And to be able to calmly and reasonably sit back while bullets are flying and realize I had to get out of there safely and await for my opportunity. So I think that says a lot to us in life, like be patient and wait for the right opportunity to make your move. Right. uh, To have a clear picture because you, I mean, I love that you said that, you know, be patient and wait wait for the right opportunity. And, And you know, to be patient and to wait for the right opportunity because you have a sense of clarity of where it is that you want to be. Like you knew what you want to get out of you knew where where it is that you wanted to end up um, at you know and that is away from that but protecting the children because you weren't you weren't willing to just leave no I was worried about leaving them as well Mm -hmm. and I could see police and ambulances and fire trucks like in the distance right uh, just waiting for the shooters to take off Right. They won't come into an active shooting. Right. Which you can't blame them, I suppose. But, Mm -hmm. you know, they weren't going to come in on a white horse and save me (laughs) while, you know, putting themselves at risk. Yeah. So there was a lot of lessons I learned. I learned that there was some relationships I needed to repair because I would have hated leaving this earth Mm. with them the way they were and so that's in the process now a Uh, lot of awareness mm -hmm. you know there isn't like going through a a situation like that and I've said it already before to for you to become really clear about what it is that you want how do you want to live your life from now on you know and to make the best of life so definitely that is something you've experienced through this. So I also have known you, Doreen, to be a huge advocate for homeless people. Um, and that was something that I missed mentioning it at the beginning, but I wanted to bring that for recognition because you've had an amazing experience um, personally. And that I, I'm assuming that out of that experience, you became an advocate, right? 
Mm-hmm. What was that experience? One night, my husband brought home an 80-year-old homeless woman to our house because he didn't know what to do with her after she had fallen and he helped her up. And uh, we thought, oh, well, first I thought you're crazy. You can't just take people like you took her. Like she belongs to somebody, put her back. And there, there was nobody. And so getting over that, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to be this great person and I'm going to help her. Going to find a place that's going to help her get a house or an apartment or whatever. And long story short, there was nothing available to help her. Mm. There was nowhere safe for her to go. So she ended up living with us for three years and she begged me those whole three years to tell her story. So I wrote uh, the stranger in my recliner, Sophie's story. Wow. And right before Sophie passed away, I thanked her for coming into our lives. I said, you really, you know, shifted my thinking that, you know, all homeless people you know, it's not true that they don't want help. It's not true that they're all mentally ill or addicted. Everybody has their own story. And I thanked her for helping me realize that and helping and for her helping me realize that I can deal with dirty. She was very dirty. And Mm -hmm. my OCD was an overdrive with her, but it really helped me get past a lot of that stuff. And Right before she passed away, I promised her that I would spend the rest of my life doing whatever I could to advocate for the homeless. And she looked at me and she said, I don't want you to help old people like me. I want you to help uh, families that can't stay together. Shelters don't let little boys go in with their moms in the woman's shelter. I want you to do something about that. Wow. I said, okay, I will. So six months after she passed away, I was still searching and researching organizations and I could not find one that did what I wanted, which ended in homes, uh, Mm -hmm. sustainable homes for people. So I was praying and praying on it. And I pulled into my church for a meeting one day and I saw this blue sign at our old convent that was empty and it said family promise. And I said, oh, I wonder what that is. Who, what's going on? Nobody told me. So I go in the meeting and I said, hey, what's going on next door? And they said, oh, we lease the building to a homeless organization. And I was literally just like speaking out loud in my car, like I have to find something Wow. You know, for Sophie, like I need to make good on my promise to her. And it was like, there it was right in front of me. Wow. And their goal was to uh, mentor, educate, teach financing, and uh, to have a hundred percent success rate at repeat, not having repeat homelessness. Wow. Um, I became a board member and I'm super excited that our Philadelphia chapter of Fem City this year is supporting Family Promise. So excited about that. Yes, that's so good. That is so good. It's interesting. Um, It's so, I guess, 
strange, you know, to bring in um, a woman. And um, you must have gone through so many different levels of growth right there, right? The um, first night, honestly, I locked my bedroom door because I was scared of her. And she's and 80 she's years old. But 80. I know, I was just thinking that she's 80 years old. Wow, wow. And so her, your book, um, what was the name again? Tell, tell us the name. That one is The Stranger in My Recliner. The Stranger in My Recliner. That's based out of your experience with Sophie. Yeah, and that basically has a lot of history of homelessness, like what caused it, how it started in this country. And wow. Um, really proud that that book is going to be re-released this year with a new publisher. So we'll have a bigger audience. Hopefully I'm excited about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully Sophie's happy. <laughs> well, you made, you know, you came good on her promise, you know, mm -hmm. you, you brought it through and, and I know that you're constantly advocating for it. So of course you did. Tell me a little bit more about the passion, your, you know, your passion in regards to having stories, documentaries of women's lives? Well, I worked for hospice for a while mm -hmm. and in such sad situations, I met the most amazing women. I just was blown away. I met this woman that was the first stockbroker, female stockbroker. Wow. And she, the company she worked for in Philadelphia, she had to be in the back room and they would go back and get her advice and take it out to the client because nobody could see that she was a woman. Wow. And she amassed a large wealth for herself and uh, she was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And then, uh, Another woman I met, her family invented toilet paper. Mm. And to this day, generation, many generations later, they still are in the paper products business. They do invitations and napkins and uh, like paper plates and stuff. She was absolutely fascinating too. Uh, just so many amazing women and they never thought they were important. Isn't that crazy? And so I wrote some blog posts about them, but someday I'm going to write this book called The Forgotten Women mm. and tell all of their stories because I have them all in a journal. And, wow. you know, there's women in nursing homes that you know, at one time had such vibrant lives and now they're there neglected and it's just yeah. so sad. So very sad. Uh, yeah. I volunteer at a senior center, a couple of senior centers. And what I do is I go in and gather the seniors together in the room and I give them a paper and a pen and I tell them to write one through 10 and tell them to write the happiest and the saddest thing that happened every decade of their life. Hmm. And there was a woman that I came across at one of these workshops that was involved in Pearl Harbor. Her mother was a housekeeper at a uh, 
captain, Navy captain's house. Mm-hmm. And when the planes came and started bombing, she would go to work with her mother. She was six years old. Wow. And uh, the, the captain hid her under a desk, a really strong steel desk, hid her and her mother under there to save them. And I was like, wow. how do you, how can you think that that's not an important story to tell your kids and grandkids? Mm-hmm. And another woman was the first black woman to go to college in Switzerland. I think it was Switzerland. I don't want to get the country wrong. And while she was there, she was the only black woman. And there was a black man from Africa. And they were the only two people in this university. And they ended up marrying each other. Wow. And living in Africa for a while and then living in the United States. So, you you know, so many amazing stories. So I think we all have one. And the, the best lessons for history are the true stories that are told. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we can tell a child that Pearl Harbor happened and we can explain it to them. But if you were literally getting it from this woman that lived through it, Mm-hmm. it's more believable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I find that so amazing and, and such a, and so rewarding to be influenced, right? Because all those stories makes influence us and makes us so much more aware of appreciating life and appreciating those smallest little details of life and just changing our perception of things, you know, our perspective and how we see things and how we can really be grateful for it, for all of them. So. Yeah, that started for me with one of my oldest granddaughter, because I was always telling her, uh, you know, you're so lucky you can do this or that. And she would look at me and say, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. She just, these young women today have no concept that you know, there's women like my age that I was the first manager for Pepsi, female. Mm. Like, I it, it wasn't important to me at the time. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I want to be the first woman to do right. this. It didn't cross my mind. I just wanted to do better and make more money. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just happened. But when I look back and I see the significance in that and my granddaughter's don't understand that, you know, just as far back as my generation, there were a lot of things we couldn't do. Yes. That they can do now. They don't really understand that. No, they don't. And I think that's why for me, it's always been, you know, I was born um, in Colombia. So I, my parents traveled a lot. Um, So I wasn't, you know, I would, I, my brother's from Venezuela, you know, I lived in Puerto Rico, like I traveled. And I think that has been the, I know that has been the biggest gift that my parents could have ever given me because it gave me um, a variety of understanding cultures, people, um, and how they live. And I can appreciate what I have now, you know, and I, and the experience that I had in the past, Um, As simple as having hot water at one point or how you get your milk, 
you know, the smallest little details. And it's something that I always speak to my children about. And I take them, you know, so that they can see the difference of culture so they can, you know, mm-hmm. become a little bit more conscious and aware and have more, gra- more, be more grateful for the things that they have that they're just so easily, oh, if it broke, it's okay. I'll just buy another one. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work like that all the time, right? Appreciate right. The things. So yes, the stories are so, so important. Um, yeah, it's so amazing. So what is, um, I think we've, we've gained so many beautiful gold nuggets with your stories. Um, what is your message tonight, today? for our listeners, what would be the one piece of advice that you would leave our listeners with? The one piece of advice I think that resonates with me a lot lately is the fact that you're, it's never too late, that uh, in my business, the average age of a best-selling author is 54 years old. Mm. So, You know, if you're 30 years old or 50 years old and you think you're too old to write a book, Mm -hmm. I say you really shouldn't write a book until you've stood up and lived. And then you should sit down and tell that story, but don't, you know, wait too long. And I guess you could apply that to almost any profession. It's never too late. It's absolutely never too late to do anything that we have a desire for. And if we have a desire, it's because that was sent to us in some way, shape, or form, whether you believe in God, source, spirit, you know, higher power, it is something that was basically sent to you to acknowledge it and to mm-hmm. seek it. So yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I I love to, to hear stories. Um, I can definitely sit here with you a couple of more hours and just listen to stories of your experiences. You've going, you've gone through so much. Um, and yet I love that, that, that drive you have for life. Cause I see it all the time that you want more, you want to do more and you want to tell more stories and influence um, more. I do. Us. Absolutely. So grateful for you. So how can our listeners um, find you? Uh, just Doreen McGettigan everywhere on social media. My blog is Doreen McGettigan. Okay. Awesome. So. You do seminars and workshops and you empower and consult um, anyone that is interested in doing their, their book. Um, I know that I offer free consultations. If, you know, anybody's ever said they could write a book, then I'm happy to speak with them and go over their ideas and answer their questions and see if, you know, we're a good fit to work with each other. And also I have a new book, Realize Your Writing Dreams. And and also um, in that kind of tells you everything there is to know about writing, publishing and marketing a book realize your writing dreams nice nice okay so they can find that on amazon i'm assuming Mm -hmm. okay well everybody's here hopefully they will go and pick up your book to get more information and you can find her like she said in all the social media platforms and i am so privileged and honored to have you thank you doreen same 
team. Such a privilege to know you. One good thing coming out of the pandemic is all of the, ab the ability to uh, speak with people so far away and get to know them. I know, because you're in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's been the awesome part of it. Yes, it has. It's just, you know, this process, this not process, this season, this um, past year, year, you know, that we've gone through has brought a lot of um, unity in a sense, even though it's it's brought people staying away from each other, but it's also brought a lot of unity because it's made people more aware of their families, of the people that they have in their lives and so forth. And how how important it is to have somebody support, how important it is to ask for it, right? right. Because that is something that is, um, you know, some people find that as something weak and others is, it's not weak. When you can ask, that is brave. That's bravery to be able to ask for the help that you need. So Most certainly. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being with us and thank you to all our listeners and I look forward in speaking further. Thanks for tuning in. Follow us for next week's inspirational guest. You can follow me, Karen Zavravera, in all your social media platforms, or email me at leapandbelieve at gmail.com.